0: Hey, everybody. Uh, I want to introduce Josh Barron. Josh uh, is a fabulous marketer, but great person, even better person. Currently, VP of Marketing and Customer Experience at Handy Quilter. We'll dive into that. But just so you know, Josh has a lot of experience with brands that uh, have a really you know, cult-like following. Uh, he was previously VP of Brand at Ragnar. He's done a lot of consulting, freelancing, and more than anything, just a thoughtful, genuine dude uh, that I'm excited to catch up with today and, and uh, introduce all of you to. But uh, before we dive into all of that, Josh, how have you been? Happy St. Patrick's Day! How are things going?
1: I, I'm wearing green. You can This is kind of greenish, but my pants are green, so Very no good. pinching me in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the podcast. So, I, I have um, a-
0: a green Red Sox jersey that I wear once a year. Well, I wear it more than once a year, but I got it for one day a year so I could wear it on (laughs) St. Patrick's Day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it looks good. It looks great. Um, I'm doing well. Uh, Yeah, I've been at Handy Quilter now for um, three years, almost three years. Um, And it's a a really wonderful place. I'm I'm really lucky to be uh, here. It's a company that not a lot of people outside of quilting know a lot about. Um, and we definitely have found a wonderful little niche um, and found a lot of success there. And I remember when I first uh, applied for the role here, um, I had some people that were like, quilting? Like, you're not, you're not a 65 year old woman. Like, what, what right. is the interest for you in quilting, Why right? Why there? And um, I, I saw the passion that our customers have for our product. Um, and I thought maybe I could bring some, some interesting perspectives, some experience, uh, to the company. Um, but I, I think what really brought me here was that passionate following. And I have been very lucky to, to work with some brands that, that do have passionate, passionate followings. Um, and, uh, if I, you know, if I'm lucky I maybe get to help leave my fingerprints on the walls a little bit, um, at those brands, um, uh, you know, we were uh, uh, at Ragnar, I was at Ragnar for eight years. I was VP of brand there. Um, and I actually see a lot of parallels for, for your audience. Maybe maybe folks aren't familiar with Ragnar. Um, it is a uh, company that puts on life-changing experiences, um, mostly in the form of overnight running relays. Yeah. Um, and it it is a true cult-like following. Uh, we had a term to refer to people, to fans of the brand, Ragnarians, um, That almost has like a religious tone to it. <laughs> um, Ragnarions, Ragnarians, yeah. um, And we really did have people that, well, gosh, they did. Like people followed like the Grateful Dead. They followed the events around, <laughs> yeah. tattooed the logo on their skin and had really powerful, meaningful experiences. Uh, and even people who just did it once, hopefully we created experiences that were meaningful for them. And a lot of what I learned about building a good brand um, has served me since then. A lot of what we figured out about building a a meaningful brand at Ragnar um, has translated to to other projects that I've worked on. And that's kind of my my angle when I approach a challenge or um, a campaign or whatever it is, is first and foremost, I think about how to engage, you know, reach, reach out and touch the heart of the consumer first and foremost. Um, And and
0: like so essential, like marketers, we forget, especially on the demand side, we forget sometimes that really we're storytellers and we're trying to engage these people and give them some, make them feel something. And too often it's about the tactics that that are important, but not, not the story that people are going to remember
1: yeah i mean you know if your goal is to have a a flash in the pan make some money and get out then maybe brand doesn't matter to you and your differentiators are just you know very similar product but cheaper uh but i have no interest in in that sort of business right um and i think identifying what your brand is and how it differentiates itself from your competitors is key uh one of them may be price, but I don't think that that's a really motivating um, uh, concept for a consumer to engage with a brand in the long run. Right. Um, and we want to build companies that uh, that are meaningful and also financially sound <laughs> in the long run. Right. Um, and that and and yeah, for me, it is about capturing the hearts and building affinity with the consumer so that they buy a product and they want to continue to buy the product uh, in the future. So uh, at Ragnar, it was, you know, a race was like uh, $1,200, $1,500. Now at Handy Quilter, we sell long arm quilting machines, which maybe some of your audience knows who they are, but they're these giant um, quilting machines and they cost, you know, they're, they're worth every penny, but you know, it's $10,000, it's $12,000. Um, and in order to, uh, to have a customer believe in you enough right. to spend, you know, several thousand dollars to spend a lot of money that they've saved up, um, you have to have a brand that means something to them, um, and, and have the trust that you're going to be around and support them in the long run.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, just for people like me who aren't as familiar with the quilting world long-arm quilting. Mm-hmm. what exactly yeah. i mean i remember my mom quilting on you know the four frames and probably yep. more than that but uh you know what is long-arm quilting and and then you know you said it's giant like how does how do people like this is a consumer product what do people do with that
1: yeah that's a great question um quilting Uh, is a tradition in many cultures around the world. Pretty much every culture has some sort of quilting history. So uh, that's one thing I love about it is there's this rich, diverse history um, and cultural heritage of, you know, uh, I lived in Russia for a while, so there's interesting Russian quilts and very specific styles in Japanese quilting and Hawaiian quilting. Um, And it's the process of, of taking pieces of fabric and sewing them to, to, together to make something beautiful and functional, um, and then you want to make it more warm. So you take that beautiful piece that you've made and a backing, and you want to fill it full of something uh, warm and soft and cuddly in the middle. And then, you know, like when you go to a restaurant and they put a big old toothpick through your sandwich to hold it all together, um, that essentially is the process of quilting where you take these three things, the sandwich, and you stitch them all together. And traditionally, like your mom and your grandma did, uh, it was done by hand. Um, my mom tells stories about laying on the floor of her grandmother's living room and her grandma would poke the needle through and she would reach up and she'd pull the needle down, pass it back up. Um, and that can take uh, a lot of time. Yeah, And our machines solve a very specific problem for our consumer. And, and that is, um, for them, quilting is not just a hobby um, or a passion, it is a lifestyle. It is a thing they did with their grandmother. There is cultural heritage for them. Um, There is creative involvement. And and when a wedding is coming up, they're making a a quilt for someone, right? Um, And they know that if they're gonna do this all by hand or on a small sewing machine, there is a, a limit on the amount of quilts that you can make in your life. Our machines, to uh, make that process go much more faster. And uh, also it accelerates the creativity that they can add with that stitching. It can create intricate, beautiful patterns with different colors of thread. Um, and we we actually create robotic systems as well. So uh, somebody can design something on a computer and then have this um, machine stitch out that um, that pattern for them. In essence, I, I love what we do because our we sell machines that allow people to be creative, to um to fully more fully like realize their creative pursuits, and they want to make something beautiful that they give to someone they love. Yeah. And their greatest hope is it will keep that loved one warm, right? Um. And these quilts are beautiful many quilts aren't used, they are hung on walls in, in, and <laughs> yeah. uh, on display in museums and things like that. But at, at its core, I think we that's the role of the marketer right. is to understand the customer, what drives them and um, how to create marketing that speaks to them. Um, and uh, that's been a fun challenge for me to understand because I'm not a 65 year old you know, plus woman yeah. Um, but to recognize that our products and our marketing—they um, need to speak uh, sincerely and connect sincerely um, with our customer.
0: Well, I, you know, I know nothing about quilting, and <laughs> just hearing you talk about it, I don't know how much experience you had before you started. But it's—it's it's clear to me, like you dived in and learned a bunch of things, and you feel passionate about this. Josh, how do you do that? Like, how did you go about that process of, of finding that passion for for quilting so that you could connect in that way?
1: Yeah. Well, um, one, I think is kismet. Two, I think is the job of a marketer, right?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: whatever whatever it is as a marketer, whether we're working with a client on a specific campaign, or we're, we're building up a new brand, or we're launching a company, or revitalizing, an older company, we really are doing the same thing, right? We are trying to put ourselves in the shoes of our customer um, and understand what is going to motivate them and what's going to be most meaningful to them. One, um, and that's the, that's the brand, right? That's yeah. that's the manifestation of those ideas. Um, and uh, I do think it's really, really worth it for companies to overthink the heck out of their brands. <laughs> you know, and I, I actually, I, I remember early on at my time at Ragnar, Tanner, um, one of the founders, CEO, who's now uh, moving on, I just saw on LinkedIn, um, coming to me early on and saying that he, he had this sense that the brand was off. And this was early when I think we had like 13 races and and it was more of like an events company I think it was like 2013, um, and he said, I have this sense the brand is off. I feel like it needs, it, it should mean more to people than it does now, right? It should be more than just, you know, we're running.
0: A race, yeah.
1: Um, we're running a race, right? Um, and we went through a, a, a long process of, of building what we thought the brand should be about, much more than running. Um, uh, the, the whole hero's journey thing. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, uh, I remember. The hero's yeah, story. yeah, yeah. So I actually use that at Handy Quilter as well, and with other clients. If I ever do a TED Talk, it's going to be about the hero's journey for sure.
0: Well, um, I think you need to give an abbreviated version now.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. It's just the for those who aren't familiar with it, it is a literary concept of of what a hero goes through. Harry Potter, Luke Skywalker, Katniss Everdeen. Um, Dorothy Gale I use Dorothy Gale because that's the that's the experience that quilters are more familiar with right I use Star Wars at at Ragnar but it's this ordinary person who lives in an ordinary place and they get a mentor who takes them to this extraordinary world they have to learn all these new terms they have to gain powers Um, you know whether it's a wand or a lightsaber Um, and there's a really integral part of that journey that is called the the dark night of the soul or the pit mm-hmm. where that the person doubts themselves. I don't think I can do this. This does really relate to like marketing and customer experience, I promise. Um, and that like low point, I think is, it's really important for our hero because that is where they, where Harry Potter becomes a powerful wizard. That's where um, Dorothy Gale learns that she really does want to be back at the home she thought was so boring. Um, that's the point of transformation. Um, and I feel like I try to find ways with my the brands that I work with to identify that experience um, for our customers because um, that transformation, it really does correspond to what we're trying to do as marketers. We're trying to propose a product that is going to solve a problem or is going to help transform you um, into this more ideal version of yourself, right? Um, we're going to turn you from uh, Luke Skywalker. A moisture farmer on a dry planet. We're going to turn you into a Jedi Knight, um, and our here's how our product or our services or whatever it is accomplishes that. And that can be rather large or it can be rather small. At Ragnar, it was it was a little smaller, where it's like that you'll have this one night um, where you're going to really regret your decisions, but afterward you're going to bond with your team and you'll be you'll feel like a hero. Um, and at Handy Quilter, it's a similar thing, where the problem we're solving is we we are going to help you um, do what you love. More quickly, more fulfilling, um, and we're going to help make you this like higher version of your of yourself. Uh, and I do think it's a fun exercise with brands to be able to say, you know, what how is your customer experiencing this? Um, and I, f- I find a lot of para- a lot of parallels uh, wherever I go. So yeah, that's my that's my short version of the hero's journey.
0: <laughs> no, I would love that. You should do the TED talk. It would be great. I would, I would too do it. Um, right, right. I I will say like what's impressive to me, Josh, is is that you've done this at smaller companies. You know, it's not like you've had unlimited resources to to build mm-hmm. type of brands and and to really for, throw fuel on the fire. Yeah, Ragnar was was doing great, you know, but then mm-hmm, you were able to like take that to the next level. And and I'm not saying you did it by yourself, but you were very instrumental at Ragnar and and I'm sure at, at Handy Culture of, of continuing that evolution um, how, I mean how big, how big of teams were these that you were working on with you know like marketing teams even yeah.
1: well it's interesting because at Ragnar we started like when I started there marketing was literally like a storage space behind reception yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, gosh when I left you know we had a we had a larger team um, you know that was more specialized yeah. um, And we had folks who were bringing in very specific perspectives that we recognized we needed for the future growth of the company. Um, And I have, you know, so we went from like three people in marketing. I don't know what we were at when I, when I ended up Um, leaving.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. And I've worked with, I have worked with teams uh, like currently now I, I also oversee our, our education, which is um, essentially like a grassroots. We've got people throughout the country around 40 um, independent folks who go out and teach people how to do our, how to use our machines. That education component is a big brand differentiator for us. Kind of like
0: ambassadors that help you guys. Okay, cool.
1: Yeah. And, you know, being able to scale that marketing um, and that brand experience, because like, you know, I have these brand ideals in my head where I'm like, for handy quilter differentiators are, um, you know, we really, we're long-term support local, no matter where you are, we're gonna have somebody there to help you locally. Um, we believe in your long-term creative development. Those can be all ideas that live in my head, but making sure that that shows up in our marketing in our digital ads and our emails. Um, and when a, a person who's working for us shows up at a retail shop in Indiana or Texas or wherever, or England or Australia, is gonna you know represent those same brand ideals um is a is a larger challenge. So spending I spend a lot of time talking about that stuff, repeating myself so that 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 I can make sure it distills into every every channel um, that we have. Uh, And it is a big challenge. Like making sure that ideals distill throughout um, is a big challenge.
0: Do you like? Obviously, it's you know, core to your your view of marketing and that sort of thing. Do you have like you know things that you check box and You're like, hey, I've got to I've got to talk to this group so that they understand my vision here. How, how do you go about organizing that? Because it, it's obvious. Like when I hear you talk about Hadley Quilter, I mean, I feel like yeah, this is cool. You know, <laughs> I remember. My, yeah, you, you hit on my. You know, I, I still have quilts from my mom and grandma and and they are meaningful to Mm -hmm. me yeah yeah yeah
1: um it is a lot i mean we do make uh brand uh, i wherever i go i'm like we need if we don't have a brand bible we need a brand bible and we need people to read it we need them to understand it Mm -hmm. that may not be marketing messages but that's like the language that's really important for us so we have at, at handy quilter we have retailer trainings um you know, all the time we've got hundreds of retailers across the country who sell our products, and we we bring them here. We teach them how to to service the machines. We teach them, uh, you know, all the technical stuff, and we spend time talking to them about the brand and about um, what makes us different and why we believe it, and and uh, how those differences manifest in our in our company structure and how we support our consumers. Um, and so it is like I I give that. Um, you know Dorothy Gale' hero's journey <laughs> talk. You know, twenty times a year to uh, retailers um, to make sure that as as partners, they understand um, the brand differentiators for us and can help represent that. And then uh, you know, constantly in creative review and campaign development, we're asking ourselves these questions, even what sort of promotions we're doing, right? Is this a pro- is this a promotion that we that is on brand for us, right? We may have competitors who whose brand is you know like great love to our competitors. They have different brand propositions, um, and some of them may have a different marketing approach where they lean heavily into discount, right? That that isn't something we traditionally do because our value is much more about support, um, education, partnership, not you're going to get a cheaper product from us right that's that's a that would be a a departure for what we do you know black friday may be different that kind of stuff where consumers are really looking for that sort of offering but by and large we spend a lot of time making sure that all of our assets and campaigns align with our brand values
0: great well a little bit of a pivot here but speaking of small market teams uh you know, you do have experience managing, you know, marketing teams, and then, you know, they haven't been, you know, unlimited resources, like you may see at, at larger companies, not that anybody has unlimited resources, but you know what I mean? Um, right, what, right. Are, what are some guiding principles for you as like a manager and just, uh, you know, getting the most out of a team?
1: Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I kind of have, I have uh, basically three, internal rules that I follow when I'm hiring people. Um, the, the, <laughs> the number one rule has an abbreviation. Um, it, it's my first rule is a, I don't, I have a no a-hole rule um, because uh, you're, you know, we all have lives, we all have work, we all wanna be successful and times at work are going to be stressful. Um, yeah. And I need people that I can Uh, rely on and I can trust. Um, And so I have this story (laughs) to kind of uh, uh, explain this uh, from my time at Ragnar. I'm not going to name any names, but I think that the story itself kind of exemplifies how I think about this. Um, uh, Ragnar, we we had these points where runners would come in and hand off to another runner. And uh, we had a very big, or the biggest race we ever put on um had over eighteen thousand people over three days. and it was this busy, busy place where all the runners came together to watch this handoff. And uh, we had people there, thousand, 18,000 people through there in three days. And um, we had they had to sign a safety waiver, right for the for the sake of the company, right? right? They're participating in our event. and in order to participate, they had to sign the waiver. Very important legal document to have. Uh, at an event. And we all the runners had been through, we had all these volunteers are helping us throw all this stuff away. Um, you know, uh, stuff from the food garden, pizza, you know, three day old pizza, um, all kinds of gross things in this giant dumpster. It's two in the morning, I wanted to go home, and we were all tired. When I recognized that all the waivers <laughs> were missing. Um, and we're probably in the dumpster somewhere. Um, and so there's this point of convergence where I wanted to go home, um, but I recognized that there was a business need and I had I had to get in the dumpster. Um, I had to get dirty, I had to get gross, but I had to do this. Um, and I had somebody there with me um, who was just as tired and sick of all, all of the grossness as I was um, and I was thinking, okay, we got to get in the dumpster. And I turned around and, and saw that person walking away to go sit in a truck. Um, and uh, a, as I was, like, grabbing onto the, the side of the ladder to peer up into this giant dumpster, and I saw somebody climbing up over the other side, um, somebody that I didn't ask um, somebody who was who it wasn't their job. But they saw that, that I was getting in the, in the dumpster, and they were going to get in it with me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at two in the morning, and uh, I thought uh, that's the kind of person I want to be as an employee. That if you have to, if you have to get dirty, if you have to get scrappy, if you don't have the resources to do the job, um, and somebody's got to do it, then then I'm going to be the person that is willing to to you know get in the trenches and work hard for it. And I hire people that yeah. I, I ask that question of myself: Would this person get into a dumpster with me at at two in the morning? Um, if it if it came to it, um, I've only had to do that once in my life. But I, you know, I, I asked myself the dumpster dumpster question a lot. Um, and the other the other thing I ask um, in hiring as not just hiring for my immediate needs, right? Um, uh, I might have an open position, and as I'm hiring, I'm trying to find I'm trying to think through where I want to be in two or three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and can I find someone who um, is better at me than this, um, who can bring some capabilities to the team, um, but somebody who has who can who will be a good fit for us in two or three years down the road? Cause I do believe in hiring on potential and I do believe scrappiness um, is more important than um, experience. But I want to I look at someone and I'm like, where I see this team growing and I see the things that we're gonna be doing down the road, is this person gonna be a good fit then? Um, and, uh, um, that has guided me pretty well in my hiring practices so
0: far. That are great, man. The question I always, <laughs> up and I forget the answer. Were the waivers in the dumpster?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, they weren't. <laughs> they were, they weren't in the dumpster. And so me and this other person, I think, I, I can't remember exactly who it was. I think it was Albert. We're digging through the thing Albert. and somebody found them in a bag somewhere else which you know that's fine um the lesson's still true
0: <laughs> it totally is and i love that you were willing to to jump in and go get it like that's one of my favorite stories. Yeah. thank you for sharing that yeah it's um, a good one. <laughs> i think that says so much about like who you are and and what when, when you go and you you go in so i i appreciate that yeah um you know josh we've had a great conversation i would love to just before we end who are those people that have been influential in your career that you know you look to as a mentor? I think all of us look uh, at some people, but it's good to, to surround to surround ourselves with people that you know we can bounce stuff off. And uh, I'd love to yeah. hear who's been that for you. Yeah, um,
1: yeah, I can think of three folks that are worth mentioning. Um, a lot of great folks, but three that come to mind immediately. Uh, the first one is. Rick Green, who was the first person who hired me out of college um, uh, for a job in, in Southern California at a newspaper in Palm Springs, so I had no experience, um, but I had a lot of, uh, a lot of desire to, <laughs> to have a good job and to get in there and start producing. And um, I think I like to think maybe he saw a bit of that potential, and he kind of he gave me a chance. Um, and but it, it wasn't just like okay you know he really challenged me um, I would work hard on something and he wasn't afraid to tell me it wasn't good enough mm-hmm. um, that it needed to be better and um, uh, not always understanding exactly how I needed to make it better but he he would say I you know here's my perspective I want more I think you can add more to this um, you can execute this better um, and giving me the room to figure it out on my own um, with just enough guidelines to make sure I didn't go wandering in fields right. where I didn't need to be. Um, I think Inga, um, who was also who was the CMO at, at Ragnar, was also a really influential uh, person for me in a similar way where uh, she, she wanted to let people own their uh, responsibilities uh, and also provide the data to show that it was working, right? and 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 if you had data that said it's not working, that's not bad. Uh, it's just what's the what's the data telling us? And go find it, go try it out, go prove it. Come, show it to me, um, and then let's figure out what that means going forward. So she was very influential on me. And my current um, CEO at Handy quilter, his name's Mark Highland. Um, he's He's been a big influence in this industry. Um, and I think I, he's been a big uh, guide for me in this industry, which is newer to me because I I wasn't a quilter before three years ago. Um, I do quilt now, this is a quilt of mine in the background. Um, but uh, he, he really, really, really thinks about the customer. And as CEO, you are responsible for the whole company for the bottom line, for everything we're doing. Um, but time and time again, he helps to refocus on what's right for the customer, um, in support, in if there's a challenge or something that comes up, um, you know, to making sure we think about that person, it's it's like a moral compass for him to really focus on um, what is right for that person. Uh, and sometimes that means making decisions that, you know, we might make less money off of something, but it's going to provide it. You know, it's a business; we have to make money, we have to be successful. But he really does focus on creating positive experiences for our consumers, and, and I've. Uh, I've learned a lot from that.
0: Thank you, I appreciate that. You brought up the uh, quilt in the background. I see a little University of Utah logo. I, know, <laughs> I think I know what that's about, but do you want to tell people it's such a cool thing and, and I love your talk. Yeah. yeah
1: Yeah, I'm a big University of Utah fan. Um, I'm a third generation Ute. Um, my grandfather played basketball at the University of Utah in the 1940s. Um, They won the NCAA tournament. And this is of his good friend who became a good friend of mine later in his life. His name is Bob Masaka. And he was the, the first um, non-white player in professional basketball. Was drafted by the Knicks in 1947. Um, And then seven games later walked away and lived a quiet life and maybe didn't really tell even his neighbors that he was uh, an NBA player. So one of my, you know, with, um, one of my life goals is to make sure his story is known. Mm-hmm. And he passed away a few years ago, but this is a little tribute to to him. My my grandfather has his number um, retired at the University of Utah, and Watt's number is retired, and they hang together um, in the Huntsman Center, and it makes me cry every time I go.
0: <laughs> That's amazing, and I and I know about your commitment to make sure that story is told, and and uh, I appreciate you sharing that because this. Um, uh, it's just such a cool story, and Josh, is, yeah, you're an incredible storyteller. I I love <laughs> talking with you. I could do it like all day long, um, every day. I well, do, thank you. I do miss working with you side by side, but it's always great to catch up and and uh, thank you, thank you for coming on and and sharing, you know, your thoughts and and helping make me a better marketer, and reminding me like where I really need to focus. So yeah
1: yeah thank you travis i appreciate being on here and and hopefully i provided some some at least a good story or two.
0: Oh, absolutely everybody's <laughs> gonna remember the dumpster dive story man <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a great hiring practice <laughs> <laughs>
0: cool. well thanks again josh we'll talk again soon and uh yeah have a great weekend
1: thanks again